Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, hello there. It's Matt Young, and welcome back to the Story Chunder podcast. This week's episode is someone else's story, where we asked um, our storytellers to tell something, you know, maybe not from their own lives, but from a story that they've heard that had a big impact on them, or something they may have heard from a relative, and yeah, it was lots of fun, and I really loved it, so I think that we are going to keep this as a somewhat semi-regular sort of uh, storytelling um, event, so maybe we'll do it every couple of months or so, because it was a nice change um for the storytellers, because they could, they didn't have to expose so much about themselves. If you haven't tuned in before, this is the Story Chunder podcast, which is usually a, a podcast where people tell unbelievable true stories from their lives. We do it on Instagram live every Monday. We used to be a live event at Backdock Arts in Brisbane, Australia, where we hope to get back to. Uh, we are from Brisbane. And we are telling stories from the land of the Turbal and Jaguar people, and. I gather stories from all sorts of different people that I know from within the arts industry, whether that's actors, painters, choreographers, filmmakers. Uh, so yeah, so it's a nice way to document our community here in Brisbane as well. To find out more about us, go to thestorytunder.com, and there's also an opportunity for you to um, send us a donation to keep the podcast and the program going through either PayPal or Patreon. So without further ado, we are talking to Stephen Wheat, who um, is a music theater performer. He was just in School of Rock, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that has toured across Australia, New Zealand, and China. And he had a pretty interesting story to tell us about his first year at university. So someone else's story. This story happened to me, but my best friend, John O'Hara, who we've been friends since the first day of uni, um, in 1999, um, he will tell it. I will sometimes tell it. Sometimes we'll tell it together because you know when you've been friends with someone for a really long time, and those who know us, we have that friend shorthand where sometimes like we talk, and people who don't know us are like, "How do you guys know each other?" Because we can really, they don't know how to take us seriously or, or stuff like that. And so inevitably we tell the story, and it always, it always one of us will say. I saved his life, or he'll say, or I'll say, he saved my life. And so this is the story of how John O'Hara saved my life. Um, so uh, in the year 2000, 20 years ago, just before my 20th birthday, so that tells you how old I am, um, we're about to go back to our second semester of WAPA. And I used to get tonsillitis quite a lot. And so this one morning I woke up and I was like, oh, I think I'm getting tonsillitis again which was a bit of a hassle, but I kind of knew what to do. But what happened really quickly was I started to get this incredible fever. Like it was 
unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And my throat was really sore. I was looking out the window and I couldn't really look at the light and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, maybe I've got, you know, some kind of migraine, which I never had before. Uh, and then suddenly I started to vomit. And so I was like, so I was super sick, right? Like so, so sick. And probably four or five hours went by and somehow, because this was really before you texted, like mobiles had just come out and people were like, what's this text thing? So you still used to call on the mobile and you rarely did because it was about four ninety five a minute. Um, but he called me and, or I called him and he was like, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not. Like I'm, I'm really, really sick. And then, so he came around with another um, girl from our year, Carla McCallum, and they kind of looked at me and they were like, dude, you are really sick. And it was like, yeah, I know, but I guess it's going to go away. And so by this time they'd left some food and it was about six o'clock in the evening. I had a really disjointed night's sleep, like really, really bad. You know, when you're so sick, you know, like that sick where you think I'm going to die, but you're not going to die. But like, so it was that, right? And so I was spewing, I was cold, it was Perth. Anyway, so about 5am I wake up and I look at my arms and I'm quite fair with freckles. So I looked at my, um, my forearms and they had freckles on them. And I was like, well, this is really weird. Uh, but the freckles were purple, right? So I was like, okay, this cannot be good. Like this, this isn't good. So more disjointed sleep. Jono comes around again. And this time his mum's on the phone and his mum was kind of my mum because I'm from Brisbane, we're in Perth, I'm 20. You know, you don't really know how to look after yourself. And so she's like, you need to get into the doctor. So I don't know anyone who is from Perth or still lives there, but if you know Perth on a Sunday, because it was Sunday by now, nothing's <laughs> open, right? Like nothing's open. I don't even think they still have their supermarkets open yet. So we go to this, like this hospital um, and they had, you know, their day clinic and I walk in and I am really sick. And I get this guy, he's been a doctor for, I would say 50 years. He had no idea what was wrong with me, right? So like, he's like, I don't know, like maybe you should have some of these pills. And I couldn't keep anything down. I hadn't eaten. So I've been sick for maybe 36 hours at this point. He gives me these antibiotics and sends me home. And I'm like, okay, whatever, maybe. Um, John drops me home and he's like, just call me if you need anything. Of course I don't call, but I remember kind of getting up to get some water and I fainted. And another guy called Ezekiel the Ox. I don't know if you know Zeke. Um, know. He, so I lived with him and um, Warwick Alsop was in the house as well and Tamlin Anderson. So this house of like hopeless 20 year olds who had no idea what to do. And Zeke's like, call the ambulance. And I was like, no, 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 no ambulance. Because for some reason in my head, I thought if I go to hospital, I'm going to die. So it's best if I stay at home and not get treatment. Um, so then I kind of go into this weird like four or five hours where I spoke to my sister and I spoke to my brother. Anyway, Jono comes around. By this point, it's, we're nearly like at 48 hours of being sick. I've locked myself in my room. He's on the phone to my dad. Like, I'm so sick. He breaks the door down. They, uh, well, when I say breakdown, I mean like pushes it open. Can you imagine him breaking the door down? Um, but he puts me in the back of his Datsun 120Y um, with my doona and a bucket and I'm like spewing, right? I get into the same, the same um, doctor's place and there's one doctor who recognizes me and she's like, you are like, you're sick. Like you're super sick, come with me. So they rush me in and I'm sitting in her room. And by this point, 
it's just her and me and I haven't slept and I'm tired and you know like when you see on RBH and stuff they're like I need you to stay awake for me like she was kind of like that um and I remember her ringing my dad this is the last thing I remember she's like hi Mr Wheat it's such and such from St John of God Hospital in Perth I have his son here we're going to admit him um he's critical and then I just shut my eyes right so then I open them again and I'm in this glass room in hospital, completely naked on a bed with a catheter attached to where a catheter is attached to. And that's it. And my mum and dad, who are from Brisbane, staring at me and I'm in this room, I have no idea what has gone on, right? And so then literally very quickly, it's like, the parents are here. My mum comes in, she's crying, because anyone who's met my mum, like, I mean, it's pretty full on. She's crying. My dad's holding it together. This doctor comes in and he's like, yeah, so um, you have meningococcal meningitis and you've been in a coma for two days and you nearly died. And I was like, okay, just give me more morphine. Because <laughs> at this point I was like, like, all of this stuff is happening in this, like, it, and because I was so drugged. So what had happened was after I'd fallen asleep, um, they had to put me into an induced coma because I was moving around so much and they had to um, keep me still so they could give me a spinal tap. And because it took them ages to figure out if I'd had meningococcal meningitis, because this was kind of early on when it wasn't like known as much. But the thing was like, normally you die pretty quickly with meningococcal meningitis, but I kind of made 48 hours out of it. But came that close. And apparently if they hadn't have gotten me there like 45 minutes to an hour later, I would have died. And so I was on um, a machine, I was kept alive. And then apparently it was my birthday. My talent Hansen says it's really depressing. Like everyone's saying happy birthday to this person with the machine beeping. Um, and yeah, like it was intense. And then I spent two weeks in a hospital in Royal Perth Hospital um, and I became like the boy who lived. So because I'd survived through it, all these doctors were coming around and like, you know, all these people were poking and prodding and all of this kind of stuff um, to, to kind of figure out what happened. And in the meantime, poor John, I had to go to uni and say, hey, so if you've hung out with Stephen, you might have managed a cockle. You have to have these drugs. Um, and it was like, it was a really full on time. And I don't think, because when I woke up as well, all these people were like, you know, the ambulance driver who, who transferred me was like, do you remember me? And I was like, no, of course I don't remember you as a timer. But they, um, all these people were telling me how serious it was. And I had no idea. So like, I just, and I don't know if anyone else has been in a coma, our experiences are different, but I just blinked. Like it was literally just like going, I thought it was the next morning. Um, and all of that had happened. So poor Jono, like he hadn't slept. He held the fort until my parents got there. And if, if it really wasn't for him pushing down the door, um, yeah, I, I probably won't be here. So, but you know what? Every year on my birthday, he's like, I saved your life. And at my 40th this year, it is going to come up, you know. But um, yeah, so that's the story of how he saved my life. Absolutely remarkable. And I can't help reflecting upon you know, in this crazy COVID-19 time that we're in now, uh, just remembering that there has always been illness and, um, and this is a positive story of someone who came out of it. So let's hope that we continue to hear lots of positive stories. 
Our next story, speaking of positivity, um, is quite, um, I was profoundly moved by it. It's a Taoist um, sort of tale that our friend Dorothy May, who is a singer and an entertainer here in Brisbane, decided to share with us. And um, so I hope you like it as much as I did. Cool. All righty, guys. Well, tonight I'm going to tell you a little story that um, I stumbled across recently. Um, it's a story that's been around for a long time. It's an old Taoist story. And I actually came across it because um, I was watching Actors with Actors or something. You know that, um, yeah, you, you guys might know of it, but Actors Talk to Actors or something on YouTube. And I always I tune in for that every now and then. And um, Jeff Bridges actually re retold this story. And I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good story. Um, and it's one of those stories that pops up from time to time, just randomly. And I go, oh, gee, you've, you've popped up at the right time. Like, just to remind me. So I hope you enjoy it today. Okay. So the story starts out with an old farmer and he has been working on his fields um, with his crops for years and years and years. And he's seen his crops each year go through the seasons, summer, autumn, winter, spring, seen how the, the seeds grow, flourish, produce their yield, and then disappear into the earth and become nothing again. Um, so this one day, his horse goes missing. Um, and the neighbours hear about it and they come over and they say, oh, that is, they're just, they're offering their deepest sympathy, saying that is just such bad luck that that's happened. Um, and the old man, he responds with maybe. And then the next day, <laughs> They've looked, by the way, they've looked for the horse all over. <laughs> they've looked everywhere. The horse is nowhere to be found. The next day, the horse returns. And it doesn't just return alone. It returns with three wild horses. So this man has just woke, woken up to the arrival of four horses. He had one, he lost it, and now there's four. Um, the neighbours hear about it, and they come over and they say, wow, that is... That's wonderful that that's happened to you. And the old man says, maybe. And then the next day, the son goes out to start his day and he goes out to tend to the horses and curiosity gets the better of him. He lets patience go to the wayside and he tries to ride one of the wild horses. The wild horse throws him off and he shatters his leg. So now the son has this broken leg. The neighbors hear about it. The neighbors come over and they say, wow, this is just, this is so unfortunate that this had happened to you and your son. Um, obviously now he's down a worker. Um, it's not an ideal thing. And the old man says, maybe. And the next day, uh, military officials come into the town and they, they knock on every door. Um, they knock on this man's door and they see that the son is unfit to be drafted into battle. And so the son can't, the, the son can't go, can't leave. And the neighbors hear about it. They come over and they say, wow, isn't it amazing how this has all just worked out for the better? And he says, maybe. And that's the story. An idea to ponder, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, like I said, it's been an up and down time for me, as I'm sure it has for all of you. And so that story just brought me a lot of joy and hope. Um, yeah, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Speaking of perspective, we have Virag Jambe, who is a writer and actor uh, here in Brisbane. And um, she decided to do a little bit of research about a uh, historical figure she had never come across in the past. And this is her story of somebody else's story. Beautiful. Um, so before I start telling my story, I would just like to apologize for all the names that I butcher. Like, <laughs> I've researched their pronunciations, but there's no real way for me to know whether those were the correct pronunciations because we all know, um, uh, how credible good old um, Google Translate is. So, <laughs> so apologies, apologies for that. Uh, so from a young age, I've always loved reading and I've especially loved reading tales of people from the times before. And I think that if I had a magical power, I would definitely pick time travel, not to the future, because I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> but back in the past, I could see, um, you know, like what people were like and what culture was like, etc, etc. And so a few weeks ago, um, when I was scrolling through good old Google, um, I came across a story about um, a very powerful woman from the past um, who I hadn't heard of before and it just completely blew my mind. Um, and it also completely blew my mind that I didn't know who she was. Because um, I think after I tell this story, you'll be wondering the same thing. <laughs> Uh, so I thought I'd tell you the story tonight of, of a badass woman called Ching Shi, who was a Chinese female pirate um, who lived during the, the dawn of the 19th century, I believe, and she commanded 80,000 ships. I'm just going to let that number sink in, 80,000, right? So let's begin. <laughs> uh, so at age 26, um, this lady wed um, a guy called Chang the First, who was this fearsome pirate who was known as this uh, formidable commander of the Red Flag Fleet. And um, the story says that Chang sought um, this lady as his bride due to her representation as a shrewd businesswoman, by which he means that she was a former prostitute um, who gathered lots of secrets from her clients and she yielded them as power over all of all of her clients and the people that she hadn't met yet so this guy went mm, she's a smart one i'm taking her and he was correct <laughs> so the general consensus by all the sources i read and the historians is that Chengshu commanded equal control of the pirate fleet and that this was a condition of her marriage so she only married this guy if he would have let her um, or treated her as an equal so to speak um, and so this led to her being becoming like the overall head of the entire um, confederation. And um, as you may have already guessed, female pirate leaders were a rare thing. Um, so for Qingxi to negotiate equal control with her husband over their pirating, as I like to call it, is no small feat. It is unheard of. No one has ever done that before. But unfortunately, six years into their marriage, um, Chang the first died at the age of 42. Not much is known about how he passed away, which is normally the case with these accounts. Some people claim that he was 
killed by a tsunami or that he was murdered in Vietnam. We don't actually know what happened, but we do know that he had an adoptive son. And so naturally his adoptive son was the next one in line to be the captain of the Red Flag fleet. And fun fact, and also a plot twist, this adoptive son was also his father's lover, uh, which was uh, quite unusual. So I'm gonna just leave that there. <laughs> Uh, so, um, naturally, uh, unfortunately, um, Cheng Shi had no more power because her husband had died. So what do you do? You marry the son. So within weeks of her husband's death, uh, she takes the adoptive son as her lover as well. Um, and they ended up getting married, which, which again resulted that she can move herself back into power and reobtain the leadership of the Red Flag Fleet. And um, back in, I believe, 1809, there was this guy called uh, Richard Glasspool, whose name sounds extremely exotic, and he was captured by Ching Shen. He was the one that actually recorded that there were 80,000 80, pirates under her command. I believe there were about 1,000 large junks, which are a form of ship, and there were also 800 smaller boats, um, whereas Blackbeard, who we celebrate as the best and most influential pirate, um, only commanded four ships and had only about a 300 pirates and they existed within the same century um, which kind of again makes you question of why don't we know about her but anyway let's not discuss our conservative ideologies in here <laughs> so, <laughs> <to> the story <laughs> um, after, after starting her second marriage she, she unified um, her enormous fleet of pirates and she can she produced this set of codes um which protected the the um the female captives that they um they obtained on the pirate ship and this stated that any um uh pirate that raped a female captive would be put to death and even if the set the two of them was consensual they would be put to death um if the pirate didn't rape a female captive and took her as a wife. That was fine. That was totally okay. But if, if he was unfaithful to his wife, then he would be killed as well. So yes, feminism. That's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, so she really, she really did care about about women's rights back back in the day. And so the Red Flag Fleet under her rule, they went undefeated. And so many officials and navies um, tried to. Um, vanquish her rule but they did not succeed it wasn't after three years of being a pirate when she finally decided that she wanted to retire and she accepted amnesty from the chinese government and i believe she died at 1844 at the age of 69 which was a pretty um ripe old age to die at back in that time and um the legacy although like i myself didn't know who she was until i came about the story um, I actually did some research and found that she, she inspired um, a character in the Pirates of the Caribbean. So the, the powerful um, Mistress Ching, one of the nine pirate lords, was actually um, based off of her. That fun facts all around. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it kind of, that's kind of the, the, end of, the end of her story. But it does, it does make you wonder, why don't we know about this woman? You know, is she possessed more ships. She had a bigger army than Blackbeard. Um, yet we regard Blackbeard as the best pirate of them all. 
And from the oceans of the Far East, we travel to Pakistan with Kashif Harrison, who is going to tell us a story about a song that he has loved his whole life, that his grandmother told him about, his mother has told him about, and he wants to share it with all of you. So here's Kashif's story. My story comes from a story that comes from a song. Now, um, born and raised in Dubai, in my family, I speak both Hindi and uh, Urdu. And um, when we moved to Pakistan, which was somewhere around late 90s, um, I was massively in love with music. I don't know, music just keeps, keeps me going on. So whether, what, what, whatsoever music it is, I just, you know, love it. So when I went to Pakistan, so there was this Pakistani tune, which is a Pakistani Punjabi song. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And my mom introduced me to that song, funny enough. And it's a beautiful song. The melody goes on, the song comes on, um, the tune is like, oh my God, to die for. And then I just fell in love with it straight away. And then um, I remember that my mom, since my mom is not good in Punjabi, so she couldn't tell me the complete translation of the song. And I had nothing, no idea what this song actually meant. So um, I asked my grandma, yeah, in Pakistan. And she told me this beautiful story about this song. And I, I was like in love with this song even more. Then what happened is that um, I started my na uh, radio experience, my first ever radio job back in Pakistan on national radio in 2003. So as soon as I went on air, I started playing this song because I was like, this is my song. I'm gonna play, share this with the world. And it was interesting because I was like, I think I, when I started radio, I was like somewhere around, around my early 20s and playing this song. Everyone was like, who is this kid? Is he a kid or is he an uncle or something or the other? Because it's such a grown up song. Um, anyways, uh, so that happened. Um, and then once we came to um, uh, Sydney, so in Sydney, I joined an Indian radio back in 2013. And on this Indian radio, I'm playing this song which calms my levels. And whenever I play that song, whenever I used to play that song in the early days of joining um, this radio in Sydney, so I would just feel like so relaxed, feel like home. I'm like, yeah, this is home. This is my, this is my jam, my vibe. So play this song. And all of a sudden I started having listeners call me up because this became my signature song. So um, every Saturday morning before 9.30 a.m., there's a break, like, at 9.25 to be specific. I play this song and then we go on a morning break because I do morning shows uh, on this radio station. People would literally wake up in the morning because of this song, share their beautiful stories because this song kind of related to them in so many levels. Like someone's daughter sang this um, song on a special birthday. Um, someone got proposed to this song. Someone um, uh, sang this song to his mom and someone, uh, for someone, this song kind of brings back so many memories, like, you know, mom cooking in the kitchen early in the morning when you were a kid, uh, the smell of chai, the tea uh, cooked in Pakistan, oh my God. Farmers back in the days uh, going out in the fields. Um, parathas, cooking parathas, oh my God. Parathas with ghee, ah, amazing. Um, and uh, so, so, so different memories used to come through and I was like, wow, this song actually connects to so many people. Now, this is basically what the story of the song is. Now, the song pretty much is about a boy and a girl who were kids back, uh, who were in their childhood, definitely fond of each other, in love, so in love. Um, the boy goes, uh, from, goes from his town, goes out, uh, you know, um, let's say goes international, 
goes away just to study. In Pakistan, this is a common culture. So, you know, way back in the days, boys used to go out, girls used to stay in hometown. So the boy does the same. The girl kind of waits for him because she's madly in love with him and he's no more there. So anyways, years after the boy actually returns home and he's grown up, he's done studying, the girl gets to know that my man's in town. Now, the thing is, if you don't know, back in the days, I mean, this was a story, and I still feel that a lot of women in Pakistan are still not able to express their feelings properly, cannot express or do the things that they love. Um, some got to do with religion, some got to do with community guidelines, and still, you know, being out and loud with their expressions or feelings is still a struggle, right? And there's this girl. Now, call it fictional, call it made up. There's this girl who knows her man's in town. She knows that everyone's going to stop her from actually meeting him in person or anything. She decides that, you know what, I'm going to go and meet my man. I don't care about anything. <laughs> so she dresses up and um, she breaks all, ba all, all barriers. And in Pakistan, they've got like massive house with fences and all that stuff, right? So she kind of jumps those fences wearing her beautiful shalwar kameez, which is a beautiful dress, in heels, obviously, because come on, why not? Um, and then she goes and meets this man. Now, in the song, in the video of the song, this is where it ends. The girl comes out of all of this, comes and meets the boy. The boy and the girl meet in a forest. Wind is, you know, going around them. It's a beautiful scene. Trees everywhere, leaves everywhere. And that's where the song ends. And that's it. About a girl following her heart passionately for this guy who she hasn't seen ever since she was a kid. And now she just wants to go there and tell him that she loves him. She wants him. She wants to marry him and whatsoever. And this is basically where the song ends, right? Now, this is, this is just a story of the song. But somehow I feel like um, wantingly, unwantingly, I've been following this song's story in terms of the girl following her heart. So I feel like everyone who actually tells, like, because this story, this, um, this uh, story of the song has gone from generations to generations, from my grandma, from my mom, to me and to you guys now and to people or, or, all around the world. And nobody knows whether or not the story is real or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just that, that passion that the girl has for this guy. It's kind of a Romeo and Juliet story, but set in the Punjabi days. Um, but I feel like that's basically what I've done all my life is like follow my heart. So whether, because I'm heartless romantic myself, like literally I would do, I would, jump all the fences. <laughs> I would do anything when I know that someone's in town. Um, but I feel like um, that's what I've done, you know, follow, follow the heart, whether it is doing modeling, whether it is doing radio, whether it is doing YouTube, you know what I mean? Um, so I feel like somehow or the other, this someone else's story, I don't even know whose story it is. It went from my mom to my grandma, to me, to other people, to my friends, to you guys. And it still, keeps, it still keeps on going on. It's like a never-ending story. Um, and it's just connecting people and making people either fall in love, making people nostalgic, or making people just happy. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's just my story. Thank you. <laughs> and what's the, what's the name of the song? So it is called Buhe Baria. It is Punjabi's Buhe Baria, and it's by Hadika Kayani. Beautiful forest. Oh my God, this, this, this music. I just love this music. 
And you know, funny, so the actual chorus starts, the chorus music starts, and that's when you know it's a beautiful song. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> You cannot sit still once you listen to the song, I feel. Yeah, and that's beautiful. Usually in the studios, I'm like dancing. I know, I got like already, I have all these <laughs> images in my head of what, you know, what the clothes are. Oh my god. And that brings us to the end of another Story Chunder podcast. As I mentioned, uh, my name is Matt Young, and I want to thank all of our storytellers tonight, uh, Stephen and Dorothy and Virag and Kashif. And um, if you love these stories, please check us out at thestorychunder.com. If you wanted to make a donation to the program, you can do that through Patreon or PayPal. If you have a story that you are dying to tell yourself, I mean, the great thing about us being on Instagram at the moment is we can hear stories from all around the world. So we don't have to just um, keep it geographically to Brisbane as we do when we're the live show. So give us an email at thestorychunder at gmail.com. That's thestorychunder at gmail.com. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Look for us on all your podcasting places and subscribe to us and follow us and like us and send us uh, reviews because that's um, how we're going to keep going. But also share this program around with all of your friends. We think it's pretty special. We're having a great time doing it. And as I mentioned, we look forward to bringing it back as a live event um, when all of this um, craziness starts to well i don't know if it will ever come to an end but you know when we start to continue to learn how to negotiate um the covid19 and how we can do live theater at this time so thanks from all of us here at the storage under and we will see you next time hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.